Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, a podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and it's now the 25th day of July 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. Before I get into the meat of today's episode, I want to talk some of my many Giant fan friends off the ledge. They just had a horrific road trip. They had, what, the three games in San Diego two games in Boston, three games with the Yankees, they won one game. And they lost a bunch of games. They lost some games stupidly. They lost some games where they blew leads in extra innings. They lost games where they, they, they lost a game where where the their closer tripped and balked home the winning run. They lost games where their, their defense committed terrible errors. They left tons of men on base. Madison Bumgarner, you know, they, they lost Madison Bumgarner starts. They lost Johnny Cueto starts. It was a mess. And and Brandon Belt has been terrible. They've lost seven of their last ten games. And all I can say is despite all of that, the Giants are still four games up in the loss column on L.A. And they were coming home. They've had a horrible road trip. And yet, they still have a lead. And if you're going to... This is one of the things that it, when you build up a lead, and you build up a big lead, you have the ability to absorb a losing streak. Now what they have to do is, starting today, they're playing Cincinnati. They have to start a wings. They have to start, put that behind us. And just focus on winning the games you're supposed to win. I do not think that the Dodgers can make up four games in the loss column without Clayton Kershaw. So relax, or don't relax, but there's no time to panic yet. No time to panic. I do think the Giants need another bat. I do think the Giants need another arm, preferably one in the bullpen. But it is not time to start you know, stocking up on canned goods. Unless you think the Colorado Rockies were their four-game winning streak and behind by 11 games in the loss column are going to be a big threat. Hey, um, it's a Chicago-centric day today. Let's talk about the Chicago teams because on the surface, this was a good day for both of the Chicago teams. The White Sox went... 2-0 today. They finished the suspended game from the other day, and they they won that on a walk-off hit in the ninth. And then they played again, and that was yet another walk-off hit, where they let up three runs in the ninth to blow the lead, and then walked it off. So they had two walk-off hits today, and and, uh, 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 Robertson, David Robertson, won both of the games. And uh, it's you know it should be a positive day for the Chicago Whites. Now, first of all, I want to just show you how absurd the win stat can be. 
Today, there were two games that showed the absurdity of the win stat. Robertson won the first game in relief, pitched a scoreless inning, blah, blah, blah. He came into a game today and let up three home runs in one inning. He came out of the bullpen, let up one home run, two home run, three home runs to, to allow Detroit to tie the game. And he finished the inning, and then uh, in the bottom of the ninth, Melky Cabrera singled, and the White Sox won the game. And so Quintana, through six shutout innings, gets no decision. Robertson lets up three home runs in one inning and gets the win. Look at, I don't throw the win total totally in the dumpster. I think that it shows, you know, that it's a narrative stat. But if you look at a relief pitcher and look at their win-loss record with anything but incredulity, then I don't know what to say to you. It's bananas that someone could let up three home runs in an inning, blow the lead, and get the win. You're the winner. You, what, the guy threw six shadows? No, you, who let up three homers. But it's a strange day for the White Sox. It's a strange day because despite those two wins, they're still sub-500. They're two games under 500 right now. And if they are in the wild-card hunt, then they are really in the periphery of the wild-card hunt. They're six and a half games. Now, granted... They're only half a game behind the Kansas City Royals. And it's unbelievable that we've got to this point the Royals are a sub-500 team. You know, I, we went from saying, are they going to win three straight pennants to are they going to have three straight winning seasons? Actually, it would be four straight winning seasons. Anyway, that's, you know what I'm saying. But there's something weird going on with this White Sox team. And it's, it's remember, this is the year that it began with LaRoche's kid not being allowed to be in the clubhouse 24-7. And I did an old podcast, and we talked about that, and my wife was on the show, and yeah, it's weird. It's a clubhouse. It's a place of work. Well, if your kid come in from time to time, that's fine, but yeah, maybe not every day. And that gets LaRoche to leave, and, and oddly, you had Chris Sale being so you know, passionate about having this, what, 12, 13-year-old kid hanging around the clubhouse. And I thought that was bizarre. I thought that was weird. And now we're starting to find out why. Because that LaRoche kid was probably the most mature person in that clubhouse. When I kept hearing that this guy was a leader, he was a big part of the team, I said, what the hell are you talking about? It's a middle school student. Aren't you a bunch of men? Evidently not. Now, in yesterday's podcast, um, you heard me find out bit by bit about the whole Chris Sale cutting up the throwback jerseys story, which is just which is almost as strange as the La the LaRoche kids story. It's in the same ballpark, figuratively and literally. And this is kind of a point you know, I was thinking about this today. Robin Ventura is now in his fifth season, if he doesn't get fired before the season is up, 
he will be the White Sox manager for four years. Now, now, now think about this for a second. You, when you think about some of the presidents of the United States who left office alive, and what I mean by that is like, Robin Ventura has already been the manager of the White Sox longer than Abraham Lincoln was president. Longer than John F. Kennedy was president. But they both were killed in office. When you think about the presidents who assumed office and their presidency ended without their death. So they're either the one-termers, like John Adams was a one-termer, or Polk was a one-termer, or Pierce was a one-termer, John Quincy Adams was a one-termer, uh, uh, What's his name? Uh, James Buchanan was a one-termer. Rutherford B. Hayes was a one-termer. Benjamin Harrison was a one-termer. William Howard Taft was a one-termer. Who else was a one-termer? Herbert Hoover was a Um, one-termer. Jimmy Carter was a one-termer. George Herbert Walker Bush was a one-termer. And then you had some of the others who took over, like uh, John Tyler or Chester Arthur or Andrew Johnson or Millard Fillmore. Or who else took over? Um, you had, uh, um, well, Coolidge did, but he got reelected. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt did, he got reelected. Oh, uh, uh, Gerald Ford took over. Yeah, I'm doing this from memory. What are you going to do about it? But all those people that I just mentioned, including both of the Adamses, were president of the United States for a shorter period of time then Robin Ventura has been the manager of the Chicago White Sox. That's not a small sample size. And mind you, along the way, his uh, career record, I mean, he is now uh, 345 wins, 401 losses. He's a sub-500 manager. He's had one winning season his first year. The, the team he inherited from Ozzy put together a year where they were in first place for much of the season and then collapsed down the stretch. And since then, that was 2012. 2013, losing season. 2014, losing season. 2015, losing season. 2016, at at this moment, even with these two wins by Robertson, sub-500 team. And they've had a couple of years where they, they, you know, last year when I picked them to win the division, I picked them to win the pennant, for goodness sakes. They pushed their chips in the center of the table and had high hopes. And last year was a bad year for them. And they wound up having to make, you know, trades and wound up dumping some of the players. And this year, you know, they got up to a great start. They they were up by six games in early May. They were 13 games over 500. And now they are two games under 500. That's a 12 and a half game swing. They started the year with that great month. It was 17 and 8 April. I'm not doing this from memory. Losing May, losing June, losing July. This is a losing team. And it's a team that isn't just losing, but they're a team that's just disjointed. You know, the kid leaves the clubhouse. 
and there's there's like a borderline insurrection. Their biggest star player is cutting up the uniforms he doesn't like to wear. You know, there's a story about how they were not tipping the clubhouse attendants in, I think it was Seattle. I think that was the city where it was. And the reason why they weren't wasn't necessarily because they're a cheapskate, but it turns out that some of the money they donate doesn't go to the clubhouse attendants, but goes back to the team. But there's also an element of just throw your money in the damn jar. All right? If it's going to help the clubhouse attendants even a little bit, just shut up. Okay? Let the lawyers and the collective bargaining people figure out the best way to go do this. But if it's taking any money out of the clubhouse attendance pockets, knock it off. Just throw it in there, would you please? And they're not the only team doing it, but the fact that there are multiple stories like that around the Chicago White Sox, I, I'm sorry. At what point do you look and you say, well, they're losing. They're losing with expensive players. And the clubhouse is so disjointed that it actually makes sense that a middle school student was the stability of this team. What I'm saying is, in the name of everything of Rutherford B. Hayes and every other one-term president, what does Robin Ventura have to do to get fired? And he is one of those candidates who's a manager that kind of ticks me off sometimes. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. I don't I, I don't disrespect to Robin Ventura, who's a wonderful player and an all-star and everything like that, but he is another one of those examples of someone who was handed the reins of a major league baseball team with no coaching experience and no manager experience. I can't help but think that part of a manager's job is preventing from this stuff from happening. And when you have someone who has managed in the minor leagues and the major leagues in some way, shape, or form, that's got to come into effect. When you have a team where your stars run around with scissors, a middle schooler, his presence in the clubhouse is a source of controversy. I mean, uh, and, and that the, the play on the field is uninspired. And you drop basically 13 games in the standings. You know, it's, uh, there's a difference between wanting to cost someone their job and having someone not earn their job or not deserving to be there. I've been in situations where I've been fired and I'm going, I know exactly why I was fired. I wasn't very good. I shouldn't have that job because I've shown I've not been able to do it. And there have been times where I've been fired and it's because, well, they're just getting rid of a whole bunch of people and it doesn't seem fair. And I was like, oh, really? I'm going to lose my job over something like this? Because you're lumping in, me in with a bunch of people and you're doing a blanket fire? That's someone, oh, you're taking away that person's livelihood. That sucks. If you can't do your livelihood, then someone else needs to fill in. If someone's doing, if I hire a plumber and when I come in, the toilet sideways, there's water spraying everywhere, and he's sitting in the fetal position going like, I don't understand plumbing. I don't understand plumbing. I gotta fire that guy. And yes, that's Robin Ventura in the fetal position, crying, I don't know plumbing. I don't know plumbing. That's the analogy I just made. Who do you replace him with, Sully? Someone else. 
You can't throw the whole, well, you got to hire the best, most experienced, and the person who shows he's the best candidate crap at me when you brought in Robin Ventura with zero coaching or managing experience. You bring someone else with coaching and managing experience. I have a feeling the coaching staff has that. I'm sure their minor league system's filled with that. And you hand the keys to someone else because the way the car is being driven is not the best way. If someone's driving off the cliff, Felwyn Louise style, but not on purpose, you're heading right for a cliff. He said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before we change the driver, you have to tell me who you want driving because until then, we're going to keep this guy who's driving it right into the cliff. Come on, it's nonsense. Robin Ventura has been there long enough. The results are getting uglier and uglier. I'm not saying it's all his fault, but man, some of it is his fault. Try it. Try something else. And on a much crappier note, the other Chicago team looks like it's going to trade for a Roldis Chapman. And suddenly a very likable Cubs team is becoming a little less likable. I've been accused of not liking the Cubs which is, of course, utter nonsense. No one dislikes the Cubs, unless you're a diehard Cardinal fan, and even then. Why are they doing this? I mean, I made my point clear when I talked about Jose Reyes and bringing up with Chapman. I don't have any stomach for domestic violence. I don't have any stomach for bringing someone in who you know this is who this person is. Do I think he should be deprived of a contract or I think you should be deprived of earning a living. Um, I, I don't see why we need to bring him back. Someone does. Okay. It's not something worth celebrating. And it's certainly not something you want to bring onto a team like the Cubs where everything seems to be going well, especially because I mean, as Dan Simborski, the great writer from ESPN, who's been a guest on this podcast as a friend of this podcast pointed out, that the Cubs are 55-1 and one going to in the ninth with a lead, 53-1 and one going to the eighth in the lead, and 53-5 and five going to the seventh with a lead. So having a fireballer like Chapman, I mean, how much difference is it going to make? It's not like there's a situation like the Giants where their closer situation's a mess. And so you're bringing someone in with this, I hate to use the term baggage because it just belittles it, He's a domestic abuser. This is what you want to bring onto the team? This is who you want? Is this the image we're going to have if the Cubs win the World Series? Is Chapman with his arms in the air? And say, oh, redemption? Or all this other crap? I've made it clear I'm not a fan of domestic violence. And quite frankly, no one seems to care. This is why it's going to continue. No one gives a crap. He sat out, what, 60 games or something like that? Some insignificant amount like that? And it's like, well, now everything's okay. He must be fine now. And what redemption he will have. What I'm saying is, yeah, it's the Cubs' right to do it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's his right to come back to play. It's the Cubs' right to acquire him. I'm not saying they can't. I'm not going to call the cops on them. I'm not going to send this to the Supreme Court. 
I'm just saying, I don't have to like it. I don't have to sit here and go like, well, then it's okay. And it doesn't mean I have to sit and want to see the Cubs do good things with him in the middle of it. I hope he becomes an Eric Gagne on the Red Sox level disaster. Although the Red Sox did win the World Series that year. I don't want it to succeed. I'm rooting against the Cubs. I am rooting for the curse of the Billy Goat to go one more year. Because the idea of everyone, every Cub fan, if they win the World Series, will have a poster of the final out. I know, because I'm a Red Sox fan. And we all have, it was my wallpaper on my computer. It was a picture hanging up in my uh, cubicle. It was a, in The Departed. You see it in the background of a couple of the scenes of, of the picture of Keith Folk jumping up in the air when the Red Sox finally won the World Series. I see it here in San Francisco where they show the pictures of Brian Wilson, Sergio Romo, and Madison Bumgarner and those championships. Do we really want it to be Chapman? Is that the image you want? Isn't it worth prolonging this Billy Goat shit for one more year to have it be someone other than a person who has been found, you know, the, someone who's been suspended for domestic violence? Doesn't that mean anything? I think it should. Yes, he served a suspension. Yes, it's his right to come back. Yes, they can do that if they want. Doesn't mean your pal Sully has to like it. And with that in mind, go Nationals, go Giants, go Pirates, go Cardinals. Sadly, can't throw the Mets in that. I want someone other than the teams that knowingly bring in the domestic abusers to their team to be the ones representing the National League. Is that PC crap? The fact that someone's going to call it PC crap shows that there's still a problem. Sorry, I got a little dark at the end, but do you know what? Some things are worth mentioning. If you have a problem with anything I just said, tweet me at Sully Baseball and we'll have a chat. Who owned baseball? Uh, Jose Altuve? Guys, great season he's having. He may wind up winning the MVP. Uh, Jesse Hahn pitched a great game for the A's. The bullpen blew it and got the win. Uh, yeah, doesn't make sense. He gets a wob. Uh, Yasmani Tomas hit a pair of home runs, and Steven Matz pitched a great game for the Mets. Half wobs. Kendris Morales got all the offense for the Royals. Uh, Wilson Ramos pitched, uh, hit great for the uh, Nationals, but the bullpen collapsed. Boy, I'm glad the Red Sox got world champion Papelbon and not this version of Papelbon. Uh, Jose Orina of the Marlins, who before typing this list up, I had never heard of. And Corey Kluber, who leads the league in WAB, got half a WAB. So if you keep your score at home, Jose Altuve, Jesse Hahn, Yasmani Tomas, and Steven Matz got full WABs, half WABs to Jose Urena. Welcome to existing in my brain. Uh, Kendris Morales, Wilson Ramos, and Corey Kluber. Go to sullybaseball.com. Visit MLBReports.com to check the latest updates of Lawrence Baseball. Follow me on Facebook, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, all those places. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast, throwing shade on Chicago. 
for the 25th day of July 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Hey, please call me Sully.